And for those of you who remain, whether in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9 and considering the parable of the barren fig tree. Luke 13. This is God's word. There were some present at that very time who told him, that is Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should, I, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who loves repentance. Teach us what that repentance is that we might not perish, but know everlasting life. With Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you could go back in time and relive any moment, just one moment, knowing then everything that you know now, what moment would you relive? What moment would you get a do-over on? You could only have one. Maybe some of you are thinking about multiples. Maybe you remember that deeply embarrassing moment. Maybe that painful mistake that cost you. That life-changing decision. That relationship that broke, never to be repaired. If you could go back in time, knowing then everything you know now and just relive one moment, which would it be? What would you do over? It's an interesting thought exercise, isn't it? So many things that you could choose from. So many failures, so many mistakes, so many sins. So many wrong decisions. So many things you could change if you just had one chance. But what about, <clears throat> what about the changes that you know you ought to make right now? Why are those so hard? Why is it... So easy to just put those off and then later daydream about the things we could have done. 
This parable confronts us with a call to change, a call to repent. And Jesus makes the case that repentance isn't something that you should put off because the alternative is perishing. You don't get a do-over for that. So what is this change? What is this repentance that Jesus is calling us to? You could could define it this way. Repentance is a response in normal life that reflects an urgency in light of spiritual realities. Repentance is a response in normal life that reflects an urgency in light of spiritual realities. Realities. There are four things there that we're going to look at in more detail this morning. And the first is this, that repentance involves a personal response from you. Repentance involves a personal response from you. We have a tendency to focus on all of the problems out there with other people. I mean, this is the whole news cycle. Social media makes its bread and butter this way. It is the outrage machine. Recently, Meta, the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, started a Twitter competitor called Threads. And everybody flocked to it. And now nobody's using it anymore because it's boring. Because all the outrage is still on Twitter. The news doesn't give you a report on How many kittens were adopted this week? It's like, can you believe what this politician said? Can you believe what that store is doing? Can you believe it? It's just, did you hear about this? It is outrage after outrage after outrage. And it just taps into this primal thing in us that gets us to pay attention. It gets eyes on the screen. It gets ears listening. Because we are really, really concerned about all the people out there who are doing everything wrong. And something like that is happening to Jesus, where people go out of their way to, re- to bring up this account of these Galileans that were slaughtered and, ga- and pa- Pontius Pilate mingled their blood in the sacrifices. Jesus, did you hear about this? Can you believe what they did? And Jesus does not answer them the way we expect. He says, what about you? You want me to get all worked up about this thing, but what about you? Do you think they somehow deserved it, that they were worse sinners? Do you think that they were immune? Do you think that you're immune to tragedy? What about this tower that fell and killed these 18 people? What about you? If you don't repent... You'll perish. See, in this parable about the fig tree, we find out that there is something wrong with it. This this fig tree, for three years now, has has borne no fruit. And if you've ever seen a fig tree, if you've ever had a fig tree in your yard, if you know anything about fig trees, you have to, to practically round up them to the ground to get them to stop making figs. This is why... 
fig newtons exist. People were like, what are we going to do with all these figs? But something is wrong with this fig tree. The whole reason you have a fig tree, the whole reason fig trees exist, the, the reason they have the name fig tree and not Bob is that they produce figs. It's what they are. It's what they do. But something's deeply wrong with this one. And something's deeply wrong with the people that Jesus is talking to. He's drawing a parallel between them and the tree. Both are unresponsive to the one who made them, to the one who planted them, to the one who gave them life. Unless we look at these people and stand in judgment over them, it would be right for us to take to heart Jesus' admonition and ask ourselves the question, how are we prone to be unresponsive to our God and Creator? How are we prone to avoid responding to Him in repentance? In making those changes, we know he calls us to make. But one way we avoid it is we make deals with God. We say, look, God, I know I got to get this, this thing in my life straight. But if you'll just do this for me, then I promise I'll, I'll follow after you. I need to pass this test. I need this person to say yes. I need to get this job. I need this raise. If you'll just take this worry away from me, Lord, then I I will do all the things that you want. We make deals with God and we delay and put off our repentance and we don't respond to God. We ask him to respond to us. Or or we just, we wait around. We, We say, look, I just need to let go and let God be God. And he's going to do the things. And we just sit around and do our thing. And we wait for God to do his thing. And maybe those two coincide and maybe they don't. And again, we're just waiting for God to do something before we even think about doing it ourselves. Or maybe we've become blind to our own need. And and it doesn't matter how many people have come to us and said, have you thought about this? Maybe you need to look at this. This is becoming a problem. You should address this thing. And we just are just utterly blind to it. And it's, it's not even conceivable to us that there is even a change that we need to make. God's good with me. God and me, we're good. We're all on the same page. My life is great and I'm happy. And let's just leave it there. And we don't respond to God, we just presume. Or we just sort of gauge how we're doing based on how everybody else is doing. Well, at least I'm not like that person. I mean, have you heard the things that they've done? They got themselves into so much trouble, a tower fell on them. Thank goodness I'm not like that. And we just put off responding to God in repentance. And when we do that, we become very much like a fig tree that doesn't bear any fruit. We become people made in God's image, created to 
worship and glorify him, to live in the light of his glory and his grace, to glorify and enjoy him forever. And we become fruitless people who avoid glorifying and enjoying God, settling for the things of this world instead. But repentance, it's not something you can put on those people out there. It is something that involves a personal response from you. Second thing we see in this passage is that repentance is a normal part of the Christian life. Sometimes we have a tendency to focus on the big moments. Am I going to graduate? Did I get accepted? Will I get the job? Oh, here's a real big decision, and I need to make sure that I make the right decision so that God will bless me and, 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 and keep things good for me. And we focus on these big moments or the big sins. Well, I didn't kill anybody. And we lose sight that the real character of your life is found in all the mundane little things. My first car was a 1977 Buick Electra. It was my grandmother's car that got handed down to me. It was green like a battle tank with tail fins and a vinyl roof and a V8 engine that could pass anything, anywhere, anytime, as long as it didn't throw a piston. And I loved that car. One morning when I was out, uh, you know, I went and cranked it up so that it could warm up in the, 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 the cold South Carolina winter. Um, and I heard this clacking sound. I went and got my dad before school. I was like, do you hear that? This clack, 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 clack. It's like, what is that? I haven't heard that sound before. That doesn't sound right. And he's like, well, when's the last time you checked the oil? And I said, check the what? I didn't, I mean, here I was destined to, to get a degree in mechanical engineering, and I hadn't even thought about checking the oil on a car in any sort of regular basis. I mean, I filled it with gas. I mean, I knew that part, but apparently there are two reasons it's called a dipstick. And I was the second reason. Normal maintenance matters. I continued in that practice of not checking the oil. Who knows what would have happened? Who knows how bad the damage would have been? In this climate, in the Middle East, a fig tree ought to have borne fruit 10 out of 12 months, easily. I mean, like, if you went and you saw a fig tree and it had no fruit on it, it was, whoa, it was a shock. They always had something going on, always had fruit. 10 out of 12 months. Oh, that we could get that percentage level on some of our efficiency efforts. This tree, it wasn't just that it was struggling. It was fruitless all the time for three years. And these people, for decades, waiting for the Messiah to deliver them from the hand of the Roman oppressors, but not looking to the Lord as their delight and their life, looking for deliverance, but not looking for transformation. These people... This tree 
were utterly and completely fruitless. Not only were they not responding to the one who made them, they just continued to exist without bearing fruit as if that was okay. It's as if they could, they were going to get around to it, maybe. In Matthew 3, 8, Jesus reminds us that we should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit is the normal part of this tree's life. Repentance ought to be the normal fruit of the Christian life. How? Think about this with me. What are the things that shape and form you the most? Not what are the things you hope shape and form you the most, that you think shape and form you. What are the things that actually shape and form you the most? Of course, our our family of origin has a tremendous effect on the way we learn to cope with difficulty or strive or gain ambition. Our culture around us, the songs and the art, these things shape us. Oh, and we like to think that the algorithm on the newsfeed, oh no, that doesn't have any effect on me at all, but it does because it keeps your eye on it just a little bit longer. It's just a little bit more interest. The things that we spend time on, these habits, these practices, for good or for ill, have a powerful ability to shape and form us. The materialism of our culture. The idolatrous Love of political argumentation and one-upmanship. These things, they seep in. They're all around us and they start to shape the way we are. But what repentance is, on one level, is is coming to a place where you realize, I don't want to be shaped and formed by that. I want to be shaped and formed by something else. Something better. And we get the turning away part. I want to quit smoking, or I want to quit drinking, or I want to lose a few pounds, or I want to, you know, we get the, I I don't like these bad things and I want to get rid of them. But we have this, we forget that repentance isn't just turning away from something. It matters what you turn towards. And all too often we turn from one form of addiction to another. Well, I quit Facebook and I joined Twitter. I canceled my Netflix subscription so that I could watch Hulu. I, you know, I, we, we quit smoking for chewing gum, which maybe is a better habit depending on where you leave that gum and how loudly you smack. But we trade one bad habit, one addiction for something else. And that's not what repentance scripturally is about. It is about turning from sin. Turning honestly, being honest about our sin, being humble about our need, being 
ready and willing to acknowledge all of the depths of the ways that we have fallen short of God's glory and turning from that to the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn what it means to find our delight in him, to be shaped and formed by him, to become those who love his word, who love his grace, who seek his strength and power above anything else. And we let that more and more become the thing that defines how we engage in our consumeristic culture, how we step into the political sphere, how we treat one another in our marriages and in our workplace. We let the Lord Jesus Christ more and more shape what it means. And that doesn't happen. If repentance isn't a normal daily part of our Christian life, where we are constantly turning away from these idols that would destroy us and back to Jesus in every facet of our being all the time. This is what Colossians 3 was getting at when it said, don't lie to one another. Put that stuff off. Put on truth that is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. And the sense there is renewed daily. This is what repentance opens the door to. This is why it needs to be a normal part of our lives where we are never too good to repent. We are never too proud. We never act like we've got our life together so well that there's never a day that we really don't recognize that we need to repent of something, somewhere, somehow. We've never got it all together. We always need to go back to the Lord and learn again what it means to delight in Him. Repentance is a response in the normal life that reflects an urgency. That's the third thing I want you to see this morning, that Repentance involves a healthy sense of urgency. We liked to put things like repentance off until a more convenient time. I've got a lot of important things to do. I'm allergic to fire ants. One of the reasons I like living here is that they have not yet figured out how to get across the James River, and so I don't really have to worry about them too much. But there was a time in Sumter, South Carolina, where I did have to worry about them and didn't and unknowingly stood barefoot in a bed of them, only to find out a few minutes later that I am deathly allergic to those things. And I went into hives and I went into shock and my parents weren't home and everything was crazy. And my younger siblings were like, ah, and I was like, ah. And then in this God-given moment of calmness, I called a military nurse down the street who happened to have not gone on base today and was home and came right over, took one look at me and said, let's go get in the car. And I was like, let me go put on some clothes. I was still in my pajamas. And she's like, get in the car. Like, you know, with fire. And I like, there was no time to put socks on. There was no time to change out of my raggedy pajamas. Like, just get in the car now. And on the way, she saw my mom. He said the same thing to her. She gets in the car. And as she had a police officer follow her, high speed all the way to the hospital and I walked in and my blood pressure went to 60 over 40 and I blacked out. 
Later, I realized how important it was for me to not dilly-dally when you're in anaphylactic shock. Get to the hospital now. Sometimes we like to put off until a more convenient time things that are of life and death importance, of eternal importance. We, we think of it like, like just losing weight. Well, I'll, I'll start that diet after Thanksgiving. Well, maybe after Christmas. Well, maybe after New Year's. Well, maybe after Valentine's Day dinner. Well, and we just, you know, and you know, whatever. And it's, just, it's just another diet that I didn't do. But Jesus is talking about life or death. He's talking about perishing or living. There were these huge tragedies. Pilate killed these Galileans. This tower just fell on people. And it didn't shake these people out of their malaise, out of their contentment, out of their delusion that everything was fine. And and if there wasn't anything that was fine, they could take care of it later. This tree had no concept. It was heading for the fire. It was going to be firewood if it didn't get its act together. The end was coming. It was imminent. If it wasn't for the pleadings of the gardener, it would have already happened. The owner was like, I'm done. It's wasting ground. Jesus is drawing a parallel here that both the tree and these people and us, we don't know our end. You don't know what today, much less tomorrow, is going to bring. You don't know when you're going to get that diagnosis that gives you just a few weeks. You don't know when that car wreck is going to steal away from you your life, your vitality, your strength. You don't know when something as small as an ant might end everything for you. You don't know. And it is the depth of presumption to think that we can put off repentance until tomorrow because there are things that we really, really want to get to today. How? How does this delaying of repentance put us in danger? It's not just that you might die tomorrow and not have a chance to repent. The longer we delay it, the more comfortable we get in it. And it it leads our hearts to become more and more hardened in that. The longer this tree goes without bearing the fruit, the longer it's going to be a tree that doesn't bear fruit. There's nothing that's going to just magically make it decide, oh, the longer these people go in their unhealthy, godless patterns, the more comfortable they're going to be in them. It will harden your heart. It will dull your conscience. Those broken relationships, the rift will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like a a life or death version of, well, I can't remember their name, but it's been like three months and and I already asked them and I just can't. But it's about life and death. And ultimately, it will lead us to a place of such spiritual numbness that we won't even recognize that we have the need for repentance at all. 
We need a healthy sense of urgency to not put off the things that matter, the changes that God calls us to today. Last thing we need to grapple with is this reality that repentance involves a deep change of the heart. Repentance is ultimately a spiritual reality. And we make a mistake if we think that repentance is merely an exertion of the will. I've made the joke, sort of a joke and sort of a statement of truth. And I can quit coffee anytime I want. I just don't want to today. And I'm not sure, if I'm honest, that I'll ever want to. And it's not just a matter of the will. I mean, I drink the gas station coffee. I'll drink the nasty Keurig coffee we have in the office. It's not that nasty. I'm kidding. Like, I, I'm not picky. Just give me the coffee. And, and the more there is, the better. And I'll quit when I'm ready, but I'm just not ready today. It's not merely a matter of the will. I'll never get ready. It's significant that the owner is ready to cut down this tree, but it's the gardener, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, no, let me work on it. Let me work on it. I'm going to dig down. I'm going to get into the root. I'm going to go down into those places where it has become so comfortable with bad soil. I'm going to put good soil there. I'm going to tend to this thing patiently. I'm going to give it a year. I'm going to work on this tree. And here is Jesus pleading with these people. The Don't miss the significance that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, God made man, is here. Amongst those people called by his name, pleading with them to listen afresh and anew to the word of God, captivating them, making them stand is stark attention. We've never heard the scriptures taught like this before. And maybe this time, as the Lord Jesus works, they'll listen. This is the point. Both the tree and the people and us. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to do a work in us and for us. To turn our hearts hardened by sin and rebellion into hearts that long to delight in him. We need hearts that will respond rightly to Jesus. So what is it that is keeping your heart from responding in repentance to the Lord today? From turning from whatever idol it is that has its roots deep in your soul. Whatever addiction, whatever habit, whatever love, whatever it is, whatever it is that has its roots so deep in you, what is it that is keeping you from turning from that thing to the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect gardener, who can uproot those things? 
so that his word takes root in your heart. What is it that keeps you from entrusting yourself to him? Hear the call of Jesus. Don't put it off any longer. Whether it is something big or something small, turn away from that idol and back towards the Lord and learn from him to bear the fruit of repentance in your everyday life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we need you to be at work in us. This is not something that we can do on our own. This is not something that we can even comprehend the depth of. The repentance that is required of us, O Lord, must be so deep and so wide. Equip us, O Lord, to begin bearing that fruit. Teach us what it means to turn away from the idols of this world that work in us malice and greed and envy and covetousness and every evil desire and teach us what it means to bear the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. We might be a people who are characterized by our delight in Christ and not by the idols of this world. Give us this repentance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.